Hey friends, welcome to the Thrive Like a Parent podcast. You know those parents who look like they've got it all together? Yep, that's not me. I'm Dr. Brooke Weinstein, mom, widow, and neuroscience expert on all things sensory and emotional regulation. Yep, that's right. I'm here to get down and dirty on the truth behind parenting, education, burnout, neuroscience, widowhood, and the shit show we call life. So come join me for conversations with thought leaders, doctors, and women just like you who aren't afraid to speak the truth and help you find that silver lining between the to-do lists, shit shows, and chaos of parenthood. If you are craving the answers to finally find that sweet spot between chaos and calm, pull up a seat and listen in as I take you from burnt out and surviving to finally thriving. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thrive Like a Parent podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about finding your voice in parenthood. And the reason I'm talking about this is because through my journey in parenthood and through my journey into widowhood, I've had to learn how to do that. And that's a lot of what I teach my clients to do, right? I've talked to you about sensory regulation, how to emotionally and sensory regulate your body. How do you feel? Where do you feel it in your body? What do you need and how to go get it? The part of what do you need and how to go get it, that's a lot of freaking work. And that's why it takes so long when I work with my clients and why I do Thrive for three months. And when I have my own clients, I require that they work with me for six months. And it's because I need to get you comfortable with feeling your feelings. I need to get you comfortable with verbalizing your feelings. And I need to get you comfortable and your brain comfortable creating these patterns right within your brain of... Where do I feel it in my body, mind and body connection, and then requesting our needs, right? That's all about finding our voice in parenthood. I find that so often as caretakers, somehow we feel we need to do it all. And I'm not just speaking about women because, yes, dads, I know you are here too. I believe that the stronger portion of the female brain is the emotion side takes up more space within the brain and the logic side for the male brain. And so while, yes, we as females have so much emotion and are so willing to go there and and maybe we even (laughs) give our partnership, if you have a male-female partnership, maybe we give that partner a hard time. But I have such a different perspective and it's one that I don't wish I had, but I also appreciate at the same time because I've had to step up in a lot of the roles that Jonathan had. And so I now know what it's like to be, in my case, a dad. And I also know what it's like to be a mom. And I've been a working mom. I've been a stay-at-home mom. I've been a widowed mom. I've been a separated mom. I've had a, you know, I've had it all. I've had it all. And finding my voice through the thick of my marriage and through parenthood was not easy. And it's one of the biggest things we can do as an individual to take care of ourselves and to make sure that we're not drowning. Yeah. Even before I had kids, I was putting Jonathan first. I thought that that's what it meant to be in a relationship 
with another human. I thought that I needed to take care of my partner and my partner would take care of me. I look at that very differently now. When I work with clients who are partners, I teach them that the best way a relationship works is when we stay in our own lane. We don't fix each other, but we support one another. And I made that shift while still in my marriage with Jonathan. I used to constantly make sure that Jonathan was happy. I used to constantly make sure that we as a couple were enjoying life before kids, right? Like I remember constantly being like, are you okay? What's wrong? Like I know something's wrong. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? Like what's wrong? And every time there was something wrong or every time I thought something was off, it consumed me. It consumed me to the point where like I didn't, I couldn't, like I couldn't even fathom thinking about my own thoughts. I couldn't even fathom thinking about, well, what about me? Like what? Huh? What about me? And I already had so much on my plate. I already felt stretched thin and you don't, or I didn't realize that. Like I, I, I've done this work many years after children on myself. And I I did the same thing when I jumped into action with having kids. Like, of course, we take care of them first. And your partnership goes from taking care of each other to taking care of or trying to take care of everyone plus our kids then, you know, like it's, it's added. And what I recognized was that I was taking care of everyone but myself. And I was the one that built that dynamic with Jonathan. He also built that dynamic with me. He accepted all that I did for him. He wanted me to do all that I did for him. I told you in the last podcast that Jonathan filed for divorce. It was because of how much I spoke up for my voice and how much I started shifting and changing. And while that is not what happens in 98% of my clients, it's not. But I also did know that that was a possibility when finally owning my voice. And so when listening to this, I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't own my voice because that may mean my partnership might fail. My partnership might dissolve or break. We were broken already because For me to be self-neglecting to the point of sitting up in the morning, looking around saying, is this it? Is this my life? Like, is this how it's going to be forever? That's not a healthy partnership. We have to learn how to own our voices. We have to. And because I was taking care of everyone and not myself, that pattern within my brain continued to be fostered and continued to be milked and continued to be strengthened, right? Like this is the way I should function. And if I went against that, my brain and my body had serious issues with that. Your brain thrives on structure, stability, and control. So if you listen to this and you're like, at the end of it, you're like, damn it, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna own my voice. I got this. Like she did it. I can do it. I'm all good. Like that's what I want. Okay. That is what I want to empower you and say, yes, go get them slugger. But that's not without discomfort. And if you feel discomfort and finally owning your voice, That means that you're actually doing it right. Your brain isn't going to say, oh, sure, this is crazy, new, different, wacko, like, like, yeah, this feels good. Nope, your brain and body is going to be like, I don't understand this. Like, this feels so wildly uncomfortable. So wildly uncomfortable. I would say the number one biggest thing when, in particular, women, women come to me and they say, I want to work with you. 
they stop themselves. The number one reason they stop themselves is because they say this feels selfish. And so because of the discomfort that shows up within their brain and their body, they don't allow themselves to go after and get the thing that they know they most desperately need, want, and long for, which is support to figure out how to do this. We have to learn how to push through the discomfort, remind ourselves, right? That's where the regulation comes in. Remind ourselves, I am safe here. That felt really uncomfortable but I am safe. And what it's doing is it's moving the meter. It's, it's, if it's like a seesaw, right? We're moving it to say, okay, brain, like you're safe here. You don't need to jump into fight or flight. Is it uncomfortable? Fuck yeah. Like I've done it many, 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 many times, but I can tell you it does get easier. That's the patterning, the repatterning and rewiring of your brain. So if you try something or you push through and you show up for yourself in some new way, The discomfort you feel, that's a good thing because that means that you're actually shifting and creating new patterns and changes in your body that you've never done before or that you feel wildly uncomfortable about doing. And that discomfort is so worth what you will feel in the long run. So worth it. When I think about how much I was doing for others and how it was just so innate, it was so natural, it was so part of our way of life. I will never forget, this is a hard story to tell, but I will never forget when I came home from the hospital after having Charlie, my oldest. I had gone into labor at 27 weeks. I was contracting from about 16 weeks till about 27. I went into labor. We held off till 33. Again, I said I would do another podcast on the whole shebang. I was discharged from the hospital without my child, which means The way that it felt for me was the doctors and nurses, like Charlie was theirs until he came home. That's how it felt. He wasn't mine fully yet. And so I came home from the hospital first night and we were putting something away and I told Jonathan, yeah, Charlie, we'll do Charlie's baths in that bathroom. And we had so much space that we didn't use and the walls were wonky with our bathroom set up in our house in New Orleans that he was like, he used you know, the bathroom that would then be Charlie and Eli's for many years. And he wanted Charlie to bathe in my bathroom to the point where he was, I was like, it's deeper. It's, it's harder for me to get down and up. It'll be easier for me to reach in, to grab an infant and to hold and make sure he's safe, all the different things. He was like, come on, let's go check. I'm like, no, like I, I like my hoo-ha's ripped apart. Like, no, he was like, let's go. I did it. Like I was crying, like I literally, I was crying. I bent down. I got on my knees to show him the the height between our bathtub reaching over and stepping back up. I was literally, like I labored for, pushed, not labored, pushed for three and a half hours. I was like passing out in between. It was terrible. And then I went to the other one. That's such a story that sticks out in my mind of like, Jonathan was so used to me catering and doing for him that like something like that, when it affected him didn't go so well, but I did it. And I'm not blaming Jonathan for all of this. I had every role and part within this too. We built that dynamic together. When Charlie came home from the hospital, Jonathan had to go to work. I took a few, I don't know, I don't know how long, maybe it took a week, who knows with me. Took a little bit of time off, but I know I worked from home. I had a business. I was running a company. Jonathan slept in the other bedroom. Like 
moved out of the master so that we made sure that he could have nice restful sleeps. While I dealt with Charlie, I pumped because he wouldn't latch. So it was like having a twins. Basically, I'd pump all through the night. I'd have to clean them and have to make sure that Charlie didn't have that reflux coming back up and put him back to bed. By the time I breastfed or by the time I pumped, fed him a bottle, cleaned the parts, got back in bed, I had like 30 minutes. Like I placed everyone and everything above myself. And it took a tremendous, tremendous toll on my brain, on my body, and my worth as a human. Like I thought my worth, or I used to believe my worth was based on how well everyone else was doing around me. If everyone else was happy, then I had done a good job. And I pushed through like that for 10 years, no joke. And right around eight years after I sold the business, is when I started feeling the effects. We moved to Texas and I I took some time off, right? I took some time off to settle our family and get us situated. And I thought that if we moved, things would be better, right? Like if we, if we did this, this would get better. If we did this, that would get better. And it was like, we had a little bump like we had a great bump. Like Jonathan was so happy and so vibrant and, and thriving. New job, going well, performing well, getting accolades already right off the bat. Jonathan was so incredible. He applied for one job and they offered him the job above the one that he applied for. When I tell you Jonathan was a rock star and he just didn't see it or believe it within himself, he was a effing rock star. He was number one in his company. Every single year from the moment he got that job, including like this past year, this last year before he passed, like even through COVID, even through a failed attempt that Jonathan had prior to this last time, like he was a rock star. Even laying in bed, he was a freaking rock star. And here we are in a new city, you know, taking time off from my career to get settled I had just sold a business. I was bringing in finances. It wasn't enough. Like I was never doing enough. But again, I fostered this dynamic because from the beginning, when he and I first got together, I was constantly taking care of him, showing up for him and putting myself last. I thought that's what you should do as a human in a relationship, not male or female. Like I literally thought that's what I should do. And I do believe that men and women both believe that. I believe that Jonathan felt that to be a wonderful husband and a wonderful dad, he needed to show up and be able to financially provide and keep smiling. And the fear of showing anything but, anything but, was just a complete failure. But the difference between who Jonathan was and everyone knew versus who he was in our home was such a drastic difference because it was crushing him to show up for others like that. And it was crushing me to show up for him like that, right? Instead of who I really truly was. And so there were certain events that happened within our home that I finally started putting the pieces together and I finally started showing up for myself in a big, big way. Big way. I started going back to dance. I knew I wanted to take that time and a break from OT 
and really process what went well and didn't go well in my last company before going back to it. And I clearly was moving through a lot because when I'm healing, I always go back to dance. And I'm so grateful for that time. And like I said in my last podcast, I shifted the dynamic in our relationship. I mean, I started giving myself a sliver, like a sliver of light for me. I started requesting my needs. I started showing up for myself. I started taking care of myself. I started making decisions which I knew were best for our family and decisions that needed to be made for the children and saying, this is what, this is what needs to happen. Like taking control in terms of what I felt was best. And I got to be real, he did not like it. And hands down, that's, that's why, like, that's why we separated. That's why we were in a divorce. Like he, I think he thought I was crazy. I think he thought I was nuts, like nuts, but it was me finally showing up for myself. And it's okay for you to do that too. And so many of my clients have done this and their partners get on board. Their partners are like, oh, wow. Like, look at you. Like, damn right. Like, all right. Like, okay. My situation is different. My journey is different. And while I said, yes, I will share that journey with you, there's fear like that you will listen to this and say, well, now I'm really not doing anything. Now I'm really not showing up for myself. I don't want a divorce. I was that unhappy and I was drowning that much that I had to do something. And I got to the point where I was like, I either have to do something, right? Something or nothing. And I got to the point where I was like, well, I got to do something. So I have to be okay with letting the chips fall where they may, meaning whether Jonathan was okay with it or not. And if you're not in a strong relationship, you get that right too. You get that right too. I asked a client a really long time ago who was a fresh parent. We were moving through some stuff and I said, how did your life look before your son came into the world? And she answered with tons of tears in her eyes. You know, she used to have time for herself and she could go to the gym and she could this and that. And then I said, and how does it look now? And she just lost it. And she was mourning. I gave her permission to allow herself to feel the process of mourning and that loss of her autonomy and time within her life prior to children. And none of us do that. None of us recognize that. None of us recognize we need to do that. None of us recognize that that actually happens. And what I did in working with her is help her find that through the morning, help her find that balance. When you have someone placed into your arms, whether your relationship or dynamic is strong or not, life changes. And if you want even a sliver of life back for yourself, you have to request it. You have to feel the discomfort. You have to allow and own your voice. You have to unapologetically demand it and you have to go get it. Whoever is listening, you as a mom, as a dad, like you fucking matter. You matter as hard as my journey has been. And that is why, like I've said over and over, there's such fear in sharing my journey because this was a hell of a doozy of a grand finale, life altering. And some of you have reached out to me since listening to my last podcast and said, thank you so much. I'm going through the same thing. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm better. My family's better off without me. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, my partner, how do I support my partner through this? They've They've been depressed and, and suicidal for 10 years. Like, I can't fix that for you. I tried for 10 years, 12. And it's heartbreaking for me to tell you. Like, I wish, I wish I could tell you how to 
support your loved one. I can't do that. But what I can tell you is how to support yourself. And that's probably more important than supporting your partner. Because if you are drowning, you're no good to that partner. None. I was more vibrant and happy and alive than I had been in years. And instead of Jonathan being able to recognize that and embrace it, he made the choice that that was just me being crazy and wacko, which I kind of think is fun. But I love my crazy wacko side. I've always been this person. But I started requesting what I needed in that relationship to take care of me. And I allowed Jonathan to do the same. If you need breaks, if you need this, like, what do you need? What do you need? Yeah, like, it's okay for you too. I did the sensory parenting series. And this has happened twice, both times that I've done the sensory parenting series. I love this series because I got, I get to have dads there. And I'm so proud of you dads. You showed up in a big way this time. So many more dads than last time. So props. But at the end of this sensory parenting series, a dad messaged me in the chat privately and said, listening to this podcast and coming to the sensory parenting series has helped him so much because he finally is starting to understand his brain and his body. And he was starting to have thoughts before he found my podcast and did the parenting series. He was starting to think that his family would be better off without him. I don't know if that's, and I'll never know. I don't know if that's what Jonathan was thinking. I don't know. But that's not true. You are not better off, not on this earth. Like you're not. No one is. My children needed a father. And I believe that there are so many more men who feel this way. Another dad said the same thing to me, same thing to me the last time I did the sensory parenting series. The first meeting we had together, he couldn't make it because he had a work conflict. He listened to that recording. It was a three-part series, and he wiped his calendar completely clean for the second two series or second two meetings because he said to his wife that he had never felt more seen and heard. And you get to feel that too. You get to feel what it feels like to emotionally and sensory regulate your body and your brain to the point of being able to request your needs. And if you're at the point where you're having thoughts that your family would be better off without you, you literally, like there's no more time for you to make any deadlines at work. Like you're past that. Spend the money, find the right person, and learn how to emotionally and sensory regulate your body and brain and request your damn needs. One of the biggest reasons I did this for myself and one of the biggest reasons that I now unapologetically, right, own my voice in parenthood is because I want to teach my children how to own their own voice. If I don't show my child how to stand up for myself and how to say, I need, right, like I need quiet, like I need a break, I need dinner, I don't know, right? Like I need a rest. I need, a, I need to take a moment. I need to breathe. I need you to stop, right? That word, just two words, I need, feels so incredibly selfish. We've been taught that as a society. You shouldn't need anything. You're a dad. You shouldn't need anything. You're a mom. You need to take care of your children's needs. How often do we tell our children, what do you need, buddy? What do you need? Yeah? Oh, you're hungry. Sure, here's some more goldfish. How often do you say to yourself, what do I need? A request it. I need a break. I need three hours. I really need to go to that workout. Or I really want to go to that workout. Or, hey, 
I'm going to go to this workout on Wednesday night. This girl's in town. I've been dying to try her class. You got the kids? I didn't ask permission. I just said, I really, I want to do this or like, I need to do this or I think I'm going to go, right? That's how we should have each other's backs in partnership. That's what we should be showing our children. If you're feeling this resentment and anger of like, well, you always get to go hunting every year and like, I don't get to go do that. And it's, you know, if you're the one who's like every six years, you go on a girl's trip with your moms, you know, like and get shwasted the whole time. Like that kind of means you need it a little more than every six years. I have seen it over and over and over with all of the women and all of the partnerships that I work with. If you can start requesting your needs and allow your partnership to also request theirs, your needs will be met. You will find your voice. You will be able to show up for yourself. You will be able to support your brain and your body in the way that it truly needs, which means you will be able to give so much more back to your partnership and to your children. When I was finally requesting my needs and doing what I needed to do for me, like I said, I was within my partnership. I was so like thriving, right? That's what I talk about. Stop surviving. Start thriving. I was thriving. And while if you're in a dynamic where your partnership may not understand that, you have every right to say, look, these are things I need and I support you in whatever you need to. Perfect example, partner's sick. You make them the chicken noodle soup. Oh, you catch the partner's cold. You're still folding laundry and, and doing the lunch duty and all the different things. You didn't, you didn't get the rest on the weekend and, and the chicken noodle soup. If you made the chicken noodle soup and you chose to do it, it's your choice. Unless they asked for it. If you want to do it and they asked for it, have at it. You can say, hey, babe, I just really don't have time. Can I order you something? Or like, we got some, I don't know, Campbell's soup. Can I warm that up for you? I really wish I could. I know you love that soup. I just, I can't. I'm, I'm you know, I don't have many hands right now. It's too much. And if you want the noodle soup when you're the one that's sick, you can say, hey, babe, really, I really need some soup. I really need a rest. Like, I, I need to lay my body down. I'm exhausted. I can't, like, I can't keep going like this. But sometimes when we are the stay-at-home partner, we think, well, that other partner, the financial provider thinks, well, you get the whole week off to do whatever you want. Mm, not so much. There's such a lack of understanding of what we as partnerships do and respecting and valuing and appreciating all that we do. If you are exhausted and you are burnt out and overwhelmed and you need a break, ask for it request it. If you hate your job and you need to quit and find something else, do it. If you need support and you feel like you're at the end of your rope, like if you're at the end, the boardwalk, own your voice. Show up for yourself and request it. I need help. I need to talk. I need a break. I need a hug. Like what do you need? So often we don't even know what we need. I was talking to a mom today. She said, I don't even know what I, like, I don't even know. Like, we were talking about hobbies this weekend with our kids. And they're like, well, what hobbies do you have, mom? She's like, I don't know. What hobbies do I have? She's like, my kids go, well, you like to clean. That's a hobby. And she's like, what? Huh? I know it's crazy, but that is what you are setting your children up for. To show them that that's what 
we should be doing. We should be pounding the pavement 24-7, working from 7 in the morning, checking emails and text messages from our boss till 10 o'clock at night. We are showing our children that our calendars need to be stacked full to the brink. Full. The laundry has to be folded and the, the house has to be clean. Like We need to start showing up for ourselves as parents. We need to start using our voice and saying, I'm drowning. I need a break. And to those of you who have a partner who is struggling and you're so desperately trying to find a solution or like help or like, what do you need? Right? Like I used to ask Jonathan on that all the time. Like, what do you need? How, what can we do? Like how, like, like I said, this work isn't easy. It requires ourselves to show up for ourselves in a really big way, but it is out there. It's scary as hell and it's hard. It hasn't been easy. Look at, maybe I haven't fully accepted it. You know, I don't feel that, I think this is where the blame comes in. It's like, I don't feel that my decisions to shift the dynamic and become a healthy adult is the cause of my other partner going down. We both get that right to decide how we live our life. We both get to. And you can unilaterally decide how you want to live your life. I I teach this with my parents of like, your partner gets to decide what kind of relationship they have with their children. You get to decide what type of parenting relationship you have with your children. Why isn't it the same for your self-care routine? Why isn't it the same for your emotional support? Like, why isn't it the same for everything in life? You get to decide how to own your voice. And I know it's scary. Like, I can't say that enough. But you matter. You matter. Your partner matters. Like, we all matter. But you have absolutely no control over anyone as much as you wish and and like to think you do. I had to release that. I had to release the outcome of Jonathan to find my own voice and to not drown with him. It's a hard one. It's a hard one to accept. It's a hard one to talk about. It's a hard one to share, admit. Like it's all the different things. But owning your own voice as an individual within your life, within your partnership, within your parenthood, there are so many positives of that. And you can do that too. And so begin to ask yourself, what do I need? If you don't know where to start, go back to your childhood. What sports did you play? What extracurriculars did you do? What used to light you up? I don't care if you need to find some buddies around the neighborhood and go bike riding if that's what you used to do as a child, you know? Like, go do it. Life should be fun. Shit's not so fun anymore. It's kind of bullshit, right? Like, suicide rate is higher than ever. Parents are stretched so much more thin than ever. Like, it's just, it's crap. But the good news is is that you have the choice. And with the four simple questions that I've laid out to you in my podcast on how to emotionally and sensory regulate your body, like, start using them. If you can't work with me, if you can't work with one of my team members, if you can't do the sensory parenting series or thrive, Focus on one at a time. How do I feel? And until you start owning that voice, don't go any farther. Continue. How do I feel? I feel this. I feel that. I, 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 I. Not you made me feel. I, I, I. And slowly over time, you will get to the peace of owning your voice and starting to request your needs. I promise you it will be the right decision for you to start owning your needs. Because like I've been saying through this whole entire podcast, you 
matter. You matter to your children. You matter in life. You matter to your family and to your friends. And you know how to find me. If you need help, I am here. Whether you are a parent, whether you are solo, whether you are single, no kids, it's the same thing. A brain is a brain is a brain. The help is there. You have to decide that you are ready to feel some icky, icky stuff and do some really cool rewiring of your brain. But it's time to own your voice. If not now, when? Request the breaks. Ask for help. It's okay to ask for help and get your needs met. It just is. So until next time, XOXO, Dr. B. (laughs) 